This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the No Name Never podcast and football show. This is the preview show. I'm your host, Natalie Gromley, and this week we are trying not to get too downhearted about that loss um, at the weekend at home. Um, we, yeah, we're down in the dumps about this. Um, it was a game that we, we should have won, we should have, have beaten a very poor Palace side. Um, so we're going to look a little bit back on that, but we're not going to dwell on it too much. We're going to speak to a very special guest about crowd noise and atmospheres at Turf Moor. And myself and Statman Dave are going to look ahead to that game away at Arsenal at this weekend. Can we capitalise on a poor Arsenal performance and loss? Or have they gone and made Arteta mad and are we going to feel the wrath of it? Let's... Not delay any further, let's get going. Dave, welcome, sir. How are we? I'm very well, thank you. Other than the football results at the moment. Isn't it a miserable season? It is a little bit of a poor start, yes. Been said once or twice. You know what? You really should have gone into politics, Dave. I say this to you quite a lot. You're very good at avoiding questions. Um, well, listen, listeners, as I alluded to in the uh, show notes before we, we, we went live today, um, it's very difficult at the moment to analyse those games. We feel at the moment that we've been quite repetitive in what we're saying. Um, there wasn't an awful lot different that we could digest from that Palace game than from Bournemouth the week before. Um, save us to say, I think, Dave, that it was a much improved performance against Palace, I guess that brings with it more challenges that if you get beaten fair and square by a better side and you're just not quite there in terms of being able to compete with the big boys in this league, fair enough. But if you're faced with a really, really poor Palace side who not only didn't bother turning up, but also made very little, if any, attempt to try and win the game, if you can't beat that performance, then you're in trouble, I think. I think that's probably where I'd sit with that. Yeah, I mean, it's, we got off to a flying start. First ten minutes, we uh, we came out of the traps. Perhaps didn't quite keep that intensity up, but we had other chances throughout the game. Yeah, we couldn't take those chances, and two well, two individual errors contributed to uh, to their goals. It's quite obvious just how much we miss Lyle Foster when he's not there. I mean, all teams miss strikers, but I think it, I think you notice it more in the Premier League than you do in the Championship, I think. I think that's maybe one of the things that I think 
Vincent Company's shown a little bit of inexperience. He was very clear of the way he wanted to address the strike force in the championship and it worked. It blew the championship away. Um, in the Premier League, you don't get many opportunities to score goals. And when you, if you don't take those opportunities, you're in a whole world of pain. And we just don't look like we've got any strike and ability or any threat in front of goal when Foster's not there, which is incredible, really, considering he didn't really impress last season. Yeah, it, it got off to a slow start. And then we saw certainly in pre-season and coming into the season how much it improved. Um, we, you're right. We're not scoring enough goals, and we're leaking far too many at the other yeah. end. So it's a, uh, it, it needs addressing at, at both ends of the pitch if if we're going to uh, turn things around and uh, start to get some wins on the board. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I'm I'm concerned about where the next win's coming from. I'm not going to lie. Felt quite ironic, Dave, that one of the things that we were crying out for was the return of Jordan Bayer, and the poor guy. It was his slip that led to the first goal, which felt. Just painfully and horribly ironic. Um, he clearly from his social media post, he felt it. He felt the pain of conceding that goal. Um, but I, I worried when we conceded that goal. It was their first chance as well. They did, and we just gifted them. It's like you can't give these teams an opportunity to get in front of you because they just stuck eleven men behind the ball, and that was it. Yeah, you could tell he was devastated on the uh, on the pitch as it happened as well. Yeah. He kind of he was possessed. He sort of lost balance couldn't get back and then before you knew it the cross was into the middle and it was an easy chance for them to convert so it was uh, yeah disappointing from that point of view as we had got off to such a good start um, but you know we continued in the game we stayed in the game right until the end when the uh, the other the other um, well we were going for it weren't we at the end yeah. trying to keep the ball in play and then they they took advantage right at the end and and 2-0 didn't really represent the game it was a <laughs> A you reckon? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's but one way of putting option, it. I it didn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was that was never a, a nil nil game. It, uh, sorry, a two nil game. It was a it was a nil nil all over it, and it was always going to either be one one or or two nil. I think it the way that we were going for it in the end, and we had to do. You can't afford to drop points at home against the teams that are that. Are, and that was the first game where we were facing a side that won't finish in the top ten um, at home. And yeah, painfully disappointing. Let's pause there, though, Dave. Um, we'll come back to that when you and I preview the game at the weekend. We're going to take a little bit of a break from just Burnley talk on the pitch. Uh, we've invited very good friend of the show, our special guest, Mike Landers, who we adore at No Name Ever, and he's done a lot of work for us in the past. Um, he's contributed so much of his time, um, and he always brings just the very best content he can. Um, he approached us because he wanted to do give some talk on what's going on off the pitch at the moment and the board's um, determination to create atmosphere at Turf Moor by helping fan experience during the game. Um, it's been met with opinions from fans, some positive, some negative. Um, myself, Charlotte and George at None and Ever all sit on the fan advisory board and when the ideas were pitched to us by the board, we were very enthusiastic about them. We did get very much wrapped up in the intent of the board and what they wanted to do and why they were doing it and and what experience they want to bring to turf more and it was it's very difficult not to um get on board with what when they bring such enthusiasm and such um big hopes for their initiatives and 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 so it's something that we we voted through we were we were very happy to see it go through not all of it has perhaps come to fruition yet i think there's other ideas and maybe 
been tweaked a little bit with with what the the plans are. But Mike wanted to to give us some words about what he feels needs to be done and why it won't work. So we're going to give the floor to our good friend Mike Landers and let's see what he has to say. Hi, this is Mike, and I just thought I'd comment on the news that last week the club put out an advert for someone to become what was presumably the club's sort of semi-official drummer. Now, this is part of an attempt to create a better atmosphere at Turf Moor, which has been particularly flat this season. And presumably the job was to try and build some atmosphere, yet unfortunately it was met with the usual and completely predictable over-the-top reaction from some areas. I mean, it's quite impressive. The last 18 months, the club has been completely transformed on and off the pitch. We've been relegated, promoted. We have pre-game light shows. YouTubers investing our American Football Hall of Fame owner in drinking Benny and Hots with the host of the most famous talk show in America. And the thing that is setting people off is a drummer. They'll say it quietly, but the atmosphere of the turf is sometimes not the best or the most intimidating. Like any football ground when things are going well, it's a close match. The turf can be a loud and intimidating place, better than most. On certain nights when we send the chance of a big scalp, the crowd can be the difference. But it can also be exceedingly quiet when things are not going well. Now, I don't necessarily mean that as a complete negative. The turf is not the kind of place where the fans turn on the team at the drop of a hat. But it is feeling at the moment that the crowd is trying not to shout at the team struggling for confidence and deflating them even further. But this raises the question as what really counts as a good football atmosphere? Plenty of people point to Germany or Italy as examples of what we in England should aim for. But let's face it, English football is never going to scale the heights of the Bundesliga or Serie A when it comes to atmosphere. It isn't. It never has. And anyone who tells you that Anfield or St James's Park or, or Old Trafford matches up to the San Siro on a bad day is lying. Crowd atmosphere, especially in the Premier League, has largely been legislated and gentrified out of the game in the last 30 years. This isn't necessarily a bad thing, given that fans are no longer treated as animals and herded into crumbling death traps. Football atmosphere is a cultural thing that reflects the society of the country and the history of how fans are viewed within football in that country. In Germany, fans have had long had a say in the running of their clubs, down to the 50 plus 1 rule. They have power, and it comes across in the way that fans have input into large areas of how their club is run, and their clubs seek that input from those fans. In somewhere like Italy, it's more of a social gathering mechanism with fans forming specific ultra groups. The upside is incredible displays of banners and noise as those groups try to outdo each other. The downside is entire areas of the ground where police fear to tread and those fan groups, often affiliated with criminal or far-right gangs, effectively control ticketing, control standing, even controlling whose turn it is to invade the club training ground to threaten the players after a bad defeat. English football culture reflects, well, English society in general. It's mainly sort of class-based, where football is an entertainment put on for the masses, in much the same way as going to the cinema. Over time, terrace culture evolved through familiarity, but unlike Germany or Italy, that kind of mass congregation and organisation of fans away from the match just doesn't happen here in English football. But there isn't a single official Burnley FC supporters club run by the club itself putting on organised travel providing tickets. Unofficial supporters club do that work but they are small and largely geographically based so we don't really have that mass of people 
to organize together, who travel as one, who stand as one at the games. There are no huge TIFOs and displays, no real large movement, and no real way of organizing protests. This is why in the English game, when you see protests against managers and chairmen, they're largely people holding up A4 bits of paper. And this same lack of critical mass, more importantly, recognition, also means that fans can't organize big enough displays of support. Let's say I wanted to display a flag that covers two blocks of the North Stand Lower. How do I do that? Forget having to get permission from the club in the first place. How do I communicate with the fans who are in those seats and get it all set up? Well, the announcement about the drummer and subsequent press release about atmosphere also had people getting onto their favourite hobby horses, which are pyro and safe standing. Pyro is the easy one. Waving a flare is not contributing to the atmosphere. For the same reason that standing there holding a bit of plastic, like the Statue of Liberty, is not contributing to the atmosphere. Flares fail rule number one. Do what you want as long as you don't harm others. One lone flare is not pyro. That's just an annoying vape. Safe standing is a much different issue and much more complex. For the record, I support safe standing in stadiums and I support the introduction of a safe standing area at Turf Moor. The problem is, in trying to introduce safe standing, clubs and fans are dealing with a much more complex and emotive issue. The law requiring all-seater stadiums came in after the Hillsborough disaster, when 97-foot Liverpool fans were crushed to death on a standing terrace. Older fans can remember being in crushes on a fairly regular basis, even when Burnley were in the then third and fourth divisions. I don't think I'm alone in admitting that if you were to show me a picture of a large empty standing football terrace with crush barriers like the old Longside, it would trigger some memories and some of those are very uncomfortable even 30 odd years on. Stadiums are so much better than the death traps that fans were herded into over 30 years ago. But the campaign for safe standing is fighting that institutional memory. And the people who make decisions of safe standing are people of my age who remember. And that emotion is a strong one for even the best argument to overcome. Like I say, I support safe standing. But if it was introduced, would I stand? No. And that's not just because I'm old and my knees and back are shot. For me, personally, it triggers uncomfortable memories of being in crushes at football matches. I don't like being large gatherings in small spaces because of that. And I'm a nearly six foot tall bloke. I can't imagine what it's like for a woman who's five foot six. But my opinion is if the clubs can make it work using the modern des designs such as rail seating, then I am all for it, as I have the choice to sit. Standing does contribute to the atmosphere. And safe standing trials have taken place in other stadiums. I suspect that part of the reason why Turf Moor has not been part of that is because the most obvious place to introduce safe standing is the cricket field stand. The problem is that introducing safe standing into the cricket field stand requires renovating an old stand and that is not a cheap solution. But safe standing is not a simple and easy solution to building an atmosphere. Building an atmosphere is hard. There is no recipe or magic formula. I would love to see huge flags and TFOs and huge chanting pre-match. I really would. But then I look at the stands 15 minutes before kickoff, and they are half full. And this is the reason why it's so hard to build atmosphere at Turf Moor. Burnley is a town and a community club, with generations of fandom. For many fans, the game is a regular scheduled gathering to see friends and family and catch up, with the game happening around that. It's like going to church, but we all just worship the claret blue. And because the game is part of a social occasion, and not necessarily the focus, does that inhibit the building of an intense atmosphere? 
because we gossip and we chat in the pub pre-match and in the concourse 15 minutes before kickoff. How can you build up that pre-match intensity? People are not in the ground an hour beforehand like they used to be because tickets mean there is no rush to get a good place. You know what the North Stand had that the Old Standing Longside didn't? Concourses. People say that the travelling atmosphere is always better, and that's true, because those things that used to happen at all games happen mainly in a way. You've done your social chat on the way to the game. Your pre-match options are much, much more limited. You're likely to be in the ground much, much earlier, and you have that communal feeling of being a football fan. It's as simple as that, but a home game is different. So how do you build an atmosphere when that is sort of the culture? It's a basic question. If part of the atmosphere is having stands half full before kickoff, how do you do that? How do you get people into the ground early? You know, leave your suggestions and comments because I don't know. The team does occasionally need a lift and anything that helps is fine by me. So if the club are trying to raise the atmosphere, even slightly artificially, then why is that a bad thing? Because as I say, building an atmosphere is hard. It depends on so many things, the performance of the team, who the opposition are, the time of day, even the weather. And the mood changes quickly as well. To take a couple of examples against Man City, first game this season, everyone's up for it. They're buzzing. Haaland scores three minutes in, the place deflates. But a few years ago, a fairly routine City game, Raheem Sterling misses from six inches. The crowd realise it might be our day and absolutely roars the team onto Goodmanson, getting an equaliser. We all admit that there's a problem with the atmosphere of the turf at the moment, and the club came out with a minor idea to try and do something about it. And look what the reaction was. It's perhaps indicative of the tensions in the fan base that this idea got slammed so hard and so quickly, but doesn't that kind of prove the point? So if the club trying to do something is bad, then logically it's up to us fans. So if you slated the idea of the drummer and think the atmosphere should come from us fans, then come on then, what's your suggestion? Excellent stuff. Thank you so much, Mike. It is always a pleasure having you on the None and Ever podcast. Thank you so much for giving up your time and producing that content. Listeners, do let us know what you think. Are you for um, manufacturing fan atmosphere? Shall we put it that way? Do you think it needs to be organic? Do we think that the problem this season is just because we're in a tough league and we're not doing very well? Will the crowd noises come back when we start to win games? Um, let us know what you think. You can tweet us. You can uh, sorry, you can X us. What is, how do we say that now, Dave? We used to say you can tweet us. You can X us. Is that a thing? What do we say? It's post, isn't it now? Just post. Is it post? Generic, yeah. You can at us on a post through X. Do you not like? You can not tweet us, listeners. Tweet us on Twitter. <laughs> um, you can leave a comment on our Facebook page. Or if you do like the old-fashioned way, we love getting letters from our listeners. You can email us at previewshow at net. Dave. Let's focus our attention. We've got another game this weekend. Not an easy one. It is three o'clock kickoff, Saturday, the what date with this? 11th of November. Three o'clock, not televised anywhere in the UK. And we are facing an Arsenal side who have just been beaten. Um, we're either going to have made Arteta very, very angry and he's going to come and take it out on us, or we might be able to capitalise on a, a difficult spell for Arsenal. Before we get into the game, you should have a quiz question that you're going to give us, please. What are you going to set our listeners for the duration of this episode? Uh, well, I'm going to have to make a slight change again because there Ooh. are only nine players who've represented Burnley and Arsenal since World War II and none of them have racked up 50 appearances for both clubs. So this week, we want you to tell us which striker 
who played for both Burnley and Arsenal, celebrated his 60th birthday earlier this month. And we'll reveal the answer before we leave you at the end of the episode. Excellent. That's a good question. I do. I always have a slight feeling of trepidation when you say that you've had to make a tweak or you've gone off script because I never really know where you're going to go, Dave. But that's a good one. Well done. Well, let's get into our preview show, please. You're going to kick us off, Dave, with match results summary. Off you go. Uh, yeah, here's our summary of past away league matches at Arsenal. 46 of 51 previous seasons together have been at the top level. And all of Burnley's 10 away wins in league matches at the Gunners have been in the top flight. Although only one of those is in the Premier League era. More about that later. Our overall record in away league matches is 10 wins, 10 draws and 31 defeats. And with only 51 goals scored against 112 conceded, we have quite a way to go uh, to go to claw back that negative goal difference. <laughs> Saturday, <laughs> <Sorry>. yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Um, in the Premier League era, our record at the Emirates Stadium is not a good one. No. Six defeats, one win and one draw, although we have avoided defeat on both of our most uh, two of our most recent visits. Yeah, definitely. And I've got to say, a, a, even a draw where Arsenal would feel like um, a significant result right now. So let's uh, let's fingers keep our fingers crossed they can do that. Uh, Dave, turning to our second feature in our preview, please, and it's our new feature for this season. It is one to remember and one to forget. We're starting off with match one, please. Um, which one are you going with? One to remember or one to forget? Kick us off. Well, we've mixed it around this season. This time Ooh. we're going to get the one to forget out of the way first. Although for the Arsenal fans, it was one for them to remember, as it was long-serving manager Arsene Wenger's last home game in charge of the club. It was May 2018, and the Gunners' fans, despite rather a lot of anti-Arsene sentiment during mm -hmm. the season, gave him a memorable send-off, with an emphatic 5-0 win, including a brace for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, in what was a disappointing performance for us on the road. Despite the heavy defeat... The Burnley fans weren't too downhearted, uh, as we were already guaranteed to finish above Everton in a very impressive seventh place, which meant taking part in the qualifying rounds of the Europa League for the following season. Good stuff. So match two then, one to remember. I like this. I like it going this way around. We can finish on a high. Can we swap them around like yeah. this, Dave? And do it this way. Definitely better this way around. I think. It doesn't always work that way, but we'll we'll go going with that way this time. Um, our one to remember is our one and only away win at Arsenal in the Premier League era. Although sadly, it was a match that Burnley fans were not there to see. At that time, in mid December 2020, casting your minds back to uh, lockdowns, etc., uh, the Premier League was experimenting with limited numbers of socially distanced home supporters being allowed to attend matches. Despite the ongoing pandemic, and although the 2,000 masked Gunners fans who were allowed to be there perhaps wish they hadn't bothered. After a goalless first half, the home side reduced to 10 men, just before the hour mark, after Granite Xhaka fouled Dwight McNeil and followed that up by foolishly grabbing Ashley Westwood by the throat. 15 minutes later, Ashley Westwood's in-swinging corner glanced off the top of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's head and went past Bert Leno to gift as an own goal. We used to see him seeing, uh, scoring goals at the other end, but for <laughs> once he, uh, he got one for us. And we held on for a 1-0 victory. Uh, having proved it's possible to win at Arsenal, let's hope for a repeat of that result this weekend. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, one of the joys that I do um, have in playing Arsenal home and away is that I do get to work with our good buddy, Dan Potts, um, who is a fantastic Arsenal fan and content creator. We work with him on the 12th Man podcast, which is a YouTube show, uh, which you should, you should you guys should check out. He does two or three shows a week, speaks to Premier League fans all across the country. It's all of the, the teams and, and their contents, content is really fantastic. And um, We asked Dan to give his thoughts, please, ahead of the game. Yes, people... It is Dan Potts here from AFTV and, of course, Football's 12th Man. Uh, make sure you're doing us a favour and liking and subscribing to No Name Never Podcast. All of the fantastic work and effort they put into making this one of the best out there. Um, so it's an absolute pleasure to join you guys. Listen, it's a big game at the weekend. It really is. And Arsenal got back to winning ways against Seville in the Champions League, but we want to make sure that we do that in the Premier League this weekend. It was a really disappointing result for Arsenal um, away from VAR uh, against Newcastle at St James's Park. And we want to make sure that we get back to winning ways. We need to try and create some momentum back in the Arsenal lineup, which I think is going to be an interesting one this weekend because we have a few injuries. Um, it's going to be key for me to see who actually starts this one, moving into what will then be an international break. Because for me, there's a couple of ifs and buts and maybes uh, in relation to the team news, which I'll come on to in a minute. In terms of how Arsenal are playing at the moment, I don't actually think we've played amazingly well all season. I think it's fair to say that Arsenal have had... A couple of games where we can be extremely proud and extremely pleased with the results. Beating Manchester City, the Emirates, is a difficult thing to do. Um, but we've had some disappointing results there as well. You know, the North London derby, for example, was an interesting one where perhaps I think we should have done a lot better. And at Fulham at home, we dropped points. We saw us go to Stamford Bridge and end up finding ourselves in a position where we had to come back from 2-0 down, which a lot of people were excited about. But for me, I found it disappointing looking at a Chelsea side that have struggled so far this season. So my thoughts going into this one is it's going to be difficult. And I'll tell you why I think it's going to be difficult. I haven't been actually overly impressed by Burnley so far this season. You know, I've spoken to Natalie on a number of occasions about what I expected from Vincent Company, And he's actually disappointed me a bit. I don't think you've been an attacking side that I look at and go, wow. I think last season what you did in the championship was outstanding. And I expected that to carry over a little bit in some of the games that I thought Vincent Company was going to try to utilise his style of play against. And I haven't really seen that from Burnley so far. Now, there's obviously a long way to go in its early days. And I think that Burnley have still got a chance of finding some of that form. I just, of course, hope it isn't this weekend. Um, in terms of our team news, I think David Rea is now our number one goalkeeper. There's been a lot of ups and downs about whether it should be Aaron Ramsdale who gets that place. But David Rea looks to be now our number one goalkeeper. Of course, our back line, I think, will be Ben White, Gabriel and Saliba. And then there's question marks over the left back. Do we go with Zinchenko or do we go with Tomiyasu? I think Tomiyasu's form of late has actually been better. As Zinchenko against Seville come on and was very good. And I think going forward, he's fantastic. But sometimes, defensively, it can be an issue. So I think Tomiyasu might get the nod here. In midfield... I think Jorginho is definitely going to start ahead of the injured Thomas Party. Declan Rice will come into that number eight role, I believe. And I think you're probably going to go with Kai Havertz if Martin Odegaard is not fit. I think Odegaard's going to be back after the international break, which is a big, big shame because we lack some creativity without him. I think the front three will be the same that it was against Seville, which is Martinelli, Saka and Trossard. And I'm really excited by that. Eddie Nketiah has got a knock at the moment. And of course, Jesus is injured. So without Jesus, Odegaard and Party. Burnley might actually fancy the chances to create something against Arsenal and maybe take a shot result at the Emirates. But I do fancy us to win the game and I do think that it will be a comfortable 3-0 to the Arsenal, 
We've kept a couple of clean sheets at the Emirates of late, which has been quite rare over the last 18 months. But I do fancy Arsenal to win this one. So that's my score prediction. That's my team news. Come on, you Gunners, and thanks for having me on. Big up, everyone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay. Referee, please. Listeners, can you hear my cat in the background? Can you hear that, Dave? I can't. Oh, maybe our listeners can't. Maybe, uh, hopefully, listeners, my... Um, Mike's not too sensitive, but if you can hear that, then that's a little added extra, a little Easter egg for you in this week's podcast. My scracking cat, who literally, if anybody's listening, would make you believe that he's not been fed for a week. But there you go. Um, Dave, referee, please. Referees under fire at the moment. Quick one, actually. The Spurs manager after that. Uh, did you see that Chelsea Spurs game? Was it last night? Was it the night before? Last night. My goodness, that was craziness at another level. Did you watch it? I heard about it, but I wasn't watching it. Goodness me, I don't think I've ever seen a crazy game in my life. But anyway, um, Spurs manager after the game came out and one of the things he did say was that referees don't have control of games anymore, which, shock, we've known that for quite some time. Do you think that's a fair criticism of referees at the moment? Do you think VAR has gone that bad now that referees literally don't have any control over the game? Um, I think that referees are starting to to become a little bit too dependent on the VAR. So it's a case of they're reluctant to actually make the decision because they know they've got the backup of the VAR. And then, obviously, as we know, that doesn't always get to the right end result. So it's worst of of every world, I think, in in that respect, the the way it's working at the moment. It's it's just not working, is it? Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, So with that in mind, who is going to be our dependent on VAR referee and who is going to be that referee in the VAR studio who's going to rely on him? Who is all, who is all these well, people? Well, our fate rests in the hands of two Michaels this weekend. Uh, Michael Oliver of Ashington in Northumberland oh. will be the man in the middle. And Preston's Michael Salisbury will be the video assistant referee. Uh, although he's only 38, Michael Oliver has already refereed 25 previous Burnley matches going back more than 15 years to January 2008. Uh, we've won eight of those, drawn five and lost the other 12. Uh, of the four red cards he's shown in those previous 25 matches, three were for Burnley players, uh, Chris Eagles, Michael Duff and Jeff Hendrick. And the other was for Harry Maguire whilst he was still a Leicester City player. Uh, he's shown 35 yellow cards to Burnley players and 40 to our opponents. Uh, Burnley have won two of the last three away Premier League matches that Michael Oliver has been in charge of. Uh, They were at West Ham and Crystal Palace, uh, both games behind closed doors. 
We lost the most recent one at Norwich City in April 2022 in what was Sean Dyche's final match as Burnley manager. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Good old days. Good old days. Um, Okay. Not the fixture that we were wanting straight after four defeats on the bounce, Dave. Um, This is a really difficult time for Burnley and... It just can you see anything other than Burnley just getting beat at Arsenal? I mean, at some point this team has has got to just stop playing scared and just go for it and just think, well, you know what? We've nothing to lose here. We may as well go down with a fight. Do you think that's a fair assessment, or is it more than that? Um, I think there's certainly a confidence issue. I think the the fact that even like you say on Saturday when we played better, we weren't get we didn't get the the result that perhaps our our play deserved. Um, in other games we've we've struggled and we've probably got with what we have deserved out of games really. Yeah. Um, and it's as you say it's not an easy match going to to Arsenal. It's always a difficult place to go. We did have that one win that we mentioned in our uh, our one to remember match, but that was kind of a not by default, but the, the fact they'd gone down to ten men, we got kind of a a freak goal from a corner and and hung on and and ground out the result. And you worry a little bit that this side isn't quite there in terms of having the know-how and the experience to grind out results. Even if we did manage to go ahead, you worry for letting other teams back into the game. That you, you know, in terms of having that mindset and that. Um, ability to be able to to grind the result out i'm just not 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 seeing it really enough in terms of the the players and the way that they 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 go about what they're doing to to get those results and and almost get points when you don't expect to get them which we we were capable of doing we've done for several seasons in the premier league and we we were the underdogs in a lot of games and we managed to get results where people didn't expect us to get results home and away um and you just you don't quite see that yet from this side. It's something that we're going to need to to develop that mindset to be able to do that more often during the season to pick up points where you wouldn't expect to. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I don't think anybody would challenge that. Um, and company himself has said we've talked about this on previous podcasts that this side is two years ahead of where it needed to be. And and I think one of the points I made in last week's podcast was well, I questioned what the strategy was in the summer. Because if we got, you know, it was clear in January last year that we were going straight back up. There was no way we were not going to get promoted. So if we had a three-year plan in place and we were promoted two years ahead of that plan, what did we do? Why didn't we have a plan B? Why didn't we tweak that plan in the summer to bring in a, just a couple of players? Um, you know, we might have been better spending the money we spent on uh, more experience and hold back on the development of the younger players that we will hopefully sell for profit for maybe even six to 12 months further down the line. Um, as it turns out, if we've got any hopes of surviving this season, and I, I, I think our the editor of our newsletter, Jamie Smith, made this very good point this week that um, ALK have not spent £100 million expecting to go back down to the Championship. I feel pretty confident that's not the case. Um, you know, we're going to have to go into the transfer market in January. Are we going to have to sign a, a left back? What does what message does that give to Charlie Taylor, who knows he's filling in? And my goodness, is he doing a really good job, by the way? What an I've got so much respect 
for Charlie Taylor this season. He knows that he wasn't first choice. He knows he's going to get replaced by somebody else in January and he's still giving it his absolute all. Massive, massive kudos to him. Um, and we're also going to have to probably sign another striker or bring Vout back, see if Vout still come back. And probably shouldn't even joke about that. Um, but that could have been done in the summer. And we could have avoided this situation. Um, in terms of personnel on the on the, the pitch, Dave, still calls for James Trafford to have a, an extended spell out of the side and just give the poor lad a break. He's being pelted and it can't be doing his confidence any good. Fans are turning on him and they want to see Murich given a chance, even if it even if it doesn't make any difference to the shot stopping and the um, commanding in front of the goal, in terms of our distribution, it's got to help. Are you, are you, where do you stand on that argument? I mean, is, oh, actually, no, he can't play this weekend, can he, Murich, actually? He can't because of... No, he can't, no. Right, so Trafford's going to have to play on Saturday, but when he comes back, do we, do we go for this? Where, you know, this... It feels like every single week the fans are talking about the keeper debate and it's getting boring. It's like it feels like everybody in the world, apart from Vincent Company, thinks that, that Murich should be given a chance. To be fair, I'm not I'm not sure that James Trafford is the is the issue. I think we saw uh, you know Murich played at Everton. Yes, we were probably slightly better in terms of speed of distribution on the bat. We still ended up losing 3-0. Um, I'm not sure that uh, it's it's the goalkeeper situation that's that's causing our issues. I think there's it's a, the, it's it's the lack of passing that. out. I think I don't think I don't think the keeper's going to change the goals that we concede. I think that's still a problem because ultimately the back four that's in front of the keeper is just not strong enough. It's not it's not defensively good enough to stop. Um, these very, very efficient midfielders and, and strikers in the Premier League from, from getting through on goal. Um, and actually, it just goes to show as well, some of the worldies that have been scored against us have been ridiculous this season. Um, I think it's more pressing out from the back and just keeping that flow of football going. And Trafford slows down the play a little bit, I think, and he stops and he doesn't necessarily give us that freedom to just get straight back up the other end of the pitch and keep it up there and just take that pressure off the defence. The longer he keeps it, the longer he's inviting pressure on his defenders and himself, they're then able to, other teams then able to to maintain quite a high press. And that's how we're conceding goals. I think that's the argument. Um, I think what, what I would say on that is that um, Premier League teams press from the front, better than championship sides. Yeah, if we try and play the way we did last season, we would be caught out a lot more, I think. But can it be any worse than it is now? Potentially. Really? Okay, mm. this is good. You're the first. You're the first one that I've spoken to that has has gone more in this camp of saying actually, there's probably a stronger argument for keeping Trafford. So this is this is good. Um, for me, I'd like to at least see. Murich given a go because I think it feels like we need to at least test him in this this division and see whether it does make any difference because if it doesn't we we've got to, we've got to try and unravel what it is that's a problem and break down the issues in this side so we can fix them and if we put Murich in there to me when Murich has played in the in the cups we've looked more like our old selves again there's just something there's something that he manages to bring to the side. Um, and I'd just love to see him given a chance in the Premier League. So, 
I don't know, this debate's going to rage on for ages. But I think I think it, more than anything, if, if he does come in and makes doesn't make the slightest bit of difference, at least we can put that one to bed. We can stop talking about it. That would be a good thing. Um, score prediction? I think we're going to lose. I can't, I can't criticise you, Dave. I cannot find the lie in that sentence. Normally I'm, I'm I would be... I'm going to 2-0 defeat, reluctantly. I can't do it. I've got to back my boys. I can't. Even though my head is telling me that I think we're going to get beat, I'm going to say 2-2. Two, 2-2 two. Two, two draw. That's what I'm going to say. Yes, 2-2 two, two draw. Listeners, let us have your score predictions, please, when you are listening to this game. Um, I feel like this is a game we're going to get something out of because we've we, we nothing to lose, Dave. Nothing to lose at all. So let's see. Let us know what you think, listeners. Dave. Treat us, please, to your miscellaneous stat of the week and let's round off our preview this week. I've got a good one this week, I think. Ooh, you always have a good one. It's always good. Um, if last Saturday felt a little bit different, it may have been because it was the first time Burnley kicked towards the cricket field end in the second half since crowds were allowed back into Turf Moor after the pandemic. You have to go all the way back to February 2021 for a match against Sam Allardyce's West Bromwich Albion for the last time we played in that direction. In fact, it brought to an end a sequence of 60 matches, 53 of which were in the league, that we've attacked the Jimmy McElroy stand in the second half. Looking again at the full match replay, it appears if Josh Brownhill loses the toss, and it was Crystal Palace captain Joel Ward who decided which way to kick. But bearing in mind that you're only going to win the toss approximately half of the time, it's quite surprising the sequence went on as long as it did. Yeah, it is. It's something that, that definitely threw us all, I think, when we were watching the game. Um, I hadn't realised we'd lost the toss until uh, we started kicking to the cricket field, uh, to the be all end. I was like, what, what, what's going on? Well, Did I, I... realised, I, I thought that perhaps we said, well, we've lost our first six away games. Perhaps even if we win the toss, then we'll change things <laughs> and figure that what's different. But look, I've looked at the replay and it does look like the referee tosses the coin he, he looks at it and then he speaks to the Palace captain who indicates that he's going to go that way, I, th I think. And then Brownhill walks back and says, look, we're, we're swapping around. And I, th I think that's what's happened. I stand yeah. to be correct if anyone No, I, th I think you're absolutely right. I certainly didn't. Uh, I certainly thought at the time that they'd lost the toss. So, yeah, that's, uh, that is a good stat. OK, FPL reminder. Where are we with the FPL, please, Dave? Uh, well, there's no Friday night matches. I think the uh, Wolves-Spurs is the um, uh, Saturday lunchtime kickoff. So the deadline's going to be 11am on Saturday morning for getting your teams in. Uh, good luck to all our FPL managers and green arrows to all of you. Green arrows to all of you. I want an update from Adam because I'm pretty sure I'm doing okay in the uh, Northern Ever Leagues this year. I seem to have got myself all, all right with this. FPL. So I want some bragging rights, please. So let's get him on here and get him an update. Um, quiz answers then, please. What reminder of our listeners what the question was and let us know what the answer is. Uh, we asked which striker who played for Arsenal and Burnley recently turned 60. The correct answer was, of course, Ian, Ian Wright. Right. Yes. Right. He celebrated 60th birthday on the 3rd of November and was, of course, um, a guest on the podcast, uh, a joint venture we had with Noni Never and Turfcast. Uh, you went over to with Matt to Manchester 
uh, with Joe, I think, and um, and interviewed Ian Wright. So it's uh, one of our specials. It's still available to listen to if anyone wants to go back and listen to it. It was. Uh, f- forgive me, um, listeners, to both of us. I can't remember uh, who was with Joe at the time. But, yeah, we did a, a joint thing, and it was um, – he was just an utter joy. Um, I, it was probably the worst podcast I've ever hosted because I was just sat there like that, like, oh, just answering these questions off a of paper, like, Ian Wright, he was utterly charming, utterly wonderful, and very, very generous of him to give up his time for Burnley Podcast. So um, if you do want to delve into our archives, you'll find it um, on our YouTube channel and in our podcast. Just search for Ian Wright Special and you'll be able to listen to that, and it's very nice to reminisce. So, all it was just before lockdown, wasn't it? It was, yes. It was the mm. February of 2020, just after I'd come mm. back from France, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it was maybe like 10 days before, because I was, mm. yeah, it was one of the last times I was in Manchester before I went to lockdown. Good memory. Good memory, Dave. Um, yeah, do check that out. That was a really great podcast. Um, that's everything. So what have we looked at? We haven't gone too much into the Palace game because we're all a little bit down in the dumps about it. Uh, thanks again to special guest Matt Landers who gave us that interesting piece on crowd um, atmosphere at Turf Moor. Uh, do drop Mike uh, a message if you want to hear more from him or if you want to discuss with him. He's a great, great guy and would just loves to debate Burnley stuff, so I'm sure he would happily sit down with you and have a chat. Uh, my thanks as ever go to everybody who has been involved in producing this podcast. None less, of course, Statman Dave, who spends a lot of time getting these stats together. So do check out his Twitter, I refuse to call it X, and his stats page for all of the stats and things that you need on Burnley Football Club. We'll be back next week, hopefully, with some content to give you, Claret, something to talk about rather than us going, we got beat, we didn't pass out from the back, we are defensively naive. Let's hope we've got something else to talk about. That would be really great. I'm running out of ideas as to what to talk about on a podcast. So let us get our players to do the talking. Um, and we'll be back next week ahead of the West Ham game, Dave, next Friday. West Ham? Yes. I think yes, West Ham at home is the next game. Isn't yes, it? next game. So we'll let you know when that is. Um, in the meantime, Godspeed to everybody travelling down to Arsenal. I do hope that your commitment and your travel is rewarded with three points. Cheer the boys on um, and safe travels to you all i've been natalie bromley this has been the preview short brought to you by the known and ever podcast until next time the known and ever podcast is brought to you in association with the talk sport fan network our host and editor is natalie bromley and the show is produced by matt moss our resident statistician is dave roberts and our fpl expert is adam dennett the analysis show team is collectively Tom Whitaker, Rich Steele, George Poole, Charlotte Rigby and Adam Dennett. Our music is provided by George Gaskell and our newsletter team is headed up by Jamie Smith. If you don't already, you can subscribe to our newsletter by visiting nonenever.substack.com. Thanks as ever go to our partners TalkSport. We are proud to be associated with the TalkSport Fan Network. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.